Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It's so great to be with you today as we worship our great God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, my name is Matthew. For those of you who I don't have the opportunity to know, who might be guests here today, I'm so grateful that you're part of what's going on here uh, this morning. And for those of you who are joining us from far and wide uh, through our online community, welcome to New Hope Church right here in the Minneapolis area. We're delighted to connect with you as well. And uh, as our friend said here just a moment ago, if you are at home, you might take a moment right now and, and grab uh, those elements that you will need for taking the Lord's Supper here. We're going to be spending some time talking about that today, a little more in depth than normal, but also part of our ongoing series right now on the church, our series called The Body of Christ. Let me pray, and uh, we're going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy of worship. Thank you for being able to cry out to you in song and praise and to exclaim the greatness of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that moves in our midst and pours out a special anointing upon your people that we can engage one another with love and give you praise and spend time in your word with understanding and interest. Father, we love you, we welcome you here, and we ask that you would meet us in a powerful way right now and show us your heart and help us to be conformed to the person of Jesus. We honor him and we want to glorify him. So make it so, and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. So uh, how many of you have ever been at the crosswalk at some intersection and you push the button uh, so that you can go across the intersection, right? Raise your hand if you've done this. I mean, a number of us here, we live in Minneapolis, big city, so a number of us have done this. How many times have you pushed the button and then you hear the automated uh, mechanical robotic voice say, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> it just keeps doing that, right? Right? And so, uh, so I got to tell you straight up, Miss Krista loathes it when I start mimicking the voice there. And then when I also mimic that voice in all kinds of other moments in our lives, uh, when she is really not wanting to wait, and my response to her is, wait, wait, wait. And she just wants to like scratch my eyes out. All right, so uh, here's the thing. I hate waiting. I hate to wait. I, I think some of you do too, many of you. Who here likes to just wait? How many of you like to just wait on the phone when you're trying to deal with the cable company? You like that? All right, and you're listening to Mozart or something like that in the background for four hours, okay? Or how many of you like to wait for your immigration documentation? Or how many of you like to wait for that, for that diagnosis? Not fun, that's really hard. How many of you like to wait on whether the prodigal will return. How many of you like to wait? How many of you like to wait for the, red, for, for the red light to turn green, right? I mean, there's so many things that force us to just stop and wait, wait. And we don't like doing that. I hate waiting. What I want to do today with you is talk about waiting. But in order to talk about waiting, please hear me now, in order to talk about waiting, we need to talk about remembering. This is very important. In order to wait well, we have to remember well. In order to wait well, 
we have to remember well. Remembrance is one of the most important topics or concepts in the entire Bible and especially within our Old Testaments. As a matter of fact, when I was a seminary student years and years ago and I was learning Hebrew for the Old Testament, the very first word officially that I was given to learn so that we could understand all the different verbal forms and so forth. The very first word that I was given to learn was the Hebrew word zakar, which means to wait. That's how important this word is in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the mindset of the Jewish people, and ultimately for us as Christians. To wait means we have to remember. And to remember is all important. As a matter of fact, if uh, we were to look in the scriptures, we'd see there are no end of invitations to remember. Here's a couple of them. One is from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, one might make the case that the entire book of Deuteronomy in our Old Testament is a book about remembering because what it is, is it is Moses right before he dies and he is given his final sermon. It's the longest sermon in the Bible. The entire book basically is one gigantic sermon and he is just replaying over and over again the ways God has worked. It's a book of remembrance. And so in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, we read these, these words. Moses says to the people, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the desert, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, and so forth. Well, the psalmist speaks to this as well. We see this often in the psalms. And so, for example, if I look in uh, Psalm 77, verse 11. Here's what Asaph, the psalmist, writes. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? It's a great question, isn't it? It's a question given by a man who wants to remember and recount and meditate upon and ponder the things that God is doing. To remember God is to celebrate God. It is to celebrate his person, his purposes, his character. It is to celebrate his promises made and his promises fulfilled. It is to recount all the wonderful ways of the Lord. To remember is very important for us. And it gives shape to how we wait. Now one of the most important, and this, this takes us back to where we are right here with these elements on this small table. One of the most important, perhaps the most important invitation to remember that we see in the Bible is with regards to the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist as some traditions call it. 
I think this may be the most important invitation to remember that we find. Now, the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist uh, is a commemoration, a commemoration, an opportunity to reflect upon, to recall, to recount, to remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what communion is all about. And Christians throughout the ages for millennia and right now all over the world celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. Some do it every single day as a gathered community, every single day. Some do it once a week. Others like us in our tradition here at New Hope Church, we we set aside a time every month to do it as a church family. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he gives some insight into the Lord's Supper. Uh, listen to these words. You'll see them on your screen here. Pay attention to these. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verses 23 and following. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this. Let's say the next two words together, ready? In remembrance of me, right? In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and let's say the phrase together here, ready? In remembrance of me. It's an invitation to remember, to remember Jesus, to remember his death on the cross, on Calvary's tree. It is an invitation to remember this Jesus, his person, his purpose, and his work to redeem sinners and to make all things new. And by the way, let me just say, it goes without saying, really, but, but let me offer it because I think it's that important. If by chance you do not have a relationship with Jesus whereby you understand him as the savior of sinners, and all of us are sinners, if you do not have a relationship with him, if you have not called on him to forgive you, and to wash away your sins, if you've not appealed to him in belief, Lord, I believe you, I understand you're the Savior who saves sinners like me, right now is the time to do that. And I urge you right now to do that. Call on him right now, wherever you are. Lord Jesus, save me. Wash me clean. Make me whole. And help me to follow you always in faith.
The opportunity of the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to remember these things. Now, uh, let, me, let me go forward here. So, you've heard some of this language even in the verses. And I say this regularly when we come together as a people. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he and his disciples gathered in a borrowed dining room there in the city of Jerusalem. And there they celebrated what was called the Passover feast. This is the high water mark on the Jewish calendar. This was a very big deal for our Jewish friends. It still is. And what it is, is an opportunity to remember millennia earlier when God in his mercy rescued or redeemed the Israelites, the Hebrew people, from their slavery in the land of Egypt. This is a very big deal. Now, this Passover celebration, we need to understand it is a highly ritualized endeavor or experience. It's filled with all kinds of symbolism and meaning. Each part of the entire uh, meal is, is full of powerful symbolism. And what happens for us Christians is when we look at the gospel histories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then when we correlate that to what the Apostle Paul teaches in, say, 1 Corinthians, we realize that among all the symbols that are part of the Passover feast, two are put front and center. One is the bread, and the other is the cup. Now, I'd like to take a few moments with you and just talk about those two elements. Let's begin with the bread. Within the Passover meal, there comes a point where all the participants break bread together. Commonly, this is known as the unity loaf. It is an opportunity where all the participants are acknowledging that before the God of heaven and earth, the covenant God, they are united together as one family, God's people, sisters and brothers united together. Well, this isn't exclusive to our Hebrew friends. Cultures all over the globe enjoy breaking bread together. And when they do, it is often a sign of joy, of generosity, of peace, of goodwill, and of harmony. We see this in nearly every culture around the world. Certainly it is true within the Jewish community, and it is true today amongst Christians. The Apostle Paul understood the import of this, and so look with me here, his word from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Because there is one bread, he writes, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Now, the Apostle Paul is actually speaking of physical bread. But he's also speaking of the metaphorical bread, which is the person of Jesus. 
And it is the coming together around this Jesus that unites us all as one. And that's a very important statement because it gives shade to this moment on that particular night when Jesus and the disciples were gathered. They come to that place during the meal when it's time to break bread. And Jesus says something to the disciples that they were not expecting. Please hear me, friends. They weren't expecting this at all. He threw a curveball at them if ever there were one. They are thinking, oh, it's time to break the bread. It's time to celebrate that we're united, sisters and brothers, under the care of the Most High God. That is true. But Jesus turned it in a different direction. Consider these words from the historian Luke, who speaks about what happened that night. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, we just quoted this a little bit ago when we read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul was quoting Jesus. So Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you and I have to understand, the disciples at that moment had no idea what Jesus was talking about. We have the benefit of looking back and seeing the fuller picture. They had no idea. This had to be very confusing for them. What, what's he saying? I can imagine them around the table kind of looking at each other. What's he talking about? Kind of like some of you do when I preach. So what they didn't know, but of course Jesus knew, was in a matter of hours, his body would be broken by both the Roman whip and the Roman cross. And this is extremely important for us to note. You see, Jesus didn't just simply die a passive and easy death. He became profoundly broken. And we have to understand this. And so every time as we gather as believers, and in a seemingly symbolic or metaphorical way, we break the bread, it is a tangible reminder of us that Jesus' body was broken for us. And I've said it many times right here from the platform, you've heard me for years, that it is astonishing to me that the sinless, holy Jesus became broken so all of us sinful, broken people could be made whole. Okay? Now, I want to say that again because I don't want us to think that's just some fancy poetry. This is eternal truth. The sinless, holy Jesus became broken so all of us 
sinful, broken people could be made whole. And so we have to understand this. This is when we take the bread and we put it in our mouths, and granted, I, I get it, trust me, I don't like it, it's just the way the thing, it's just pragmatic. I understand we've got the, the little styrofoamy like wafer, I understand that, and it's hard to break it, but maybe when you put it in your mouth and you crunch it with your teeth, you at least hear the crunch and you know it's something's breaking, okay? I mean, if only we had the space and the time and the energy to just gather around tables and really break big loaves, that would be wonderful. And maybe we should find some way to do that. But the realities are, the goal is to understand that it symbolizes for us the broken body of Jesus so we broken people can be made whole and new. Now what I'd like to ask you to do right now is if you would take, if you would take that, that element there the bread, the, the wafer. And with me, I want you to take it, I want us to take it together. Remember, this is the unity loaf. And, and let me just remind us, this is a symbol. There are some Christian traditions that see this as fairly mystical. Well and good. For us, it's a symbol of the body of Jesus. Regardless of your Christian tradition, all of us in Christ know that what we're doing is remembering that Jesus became broken so we can be made whole. So sisters and brothers in Christ, if you have that, let us take this together right now. This reminds us of the body of Christ broken for us.
Now the cup. So later in that meal, Jesus took, hear me now, it's very important what I'm about to say. He took the third of what is actually four cups that are part of the Passover ritual. There are four cups that are part of the ritual. What we see in the gospel accounts and in 1 Corinthians is the third of the four. The third cup is known as the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. And as we've already alluded to, what it did was it particularly reminded the participants of that time millennia earlier when God redeemed or purchased or bought, that's what the word redemption alludes to, his people from their slavery in the land of Egypt. And he did it through the shed blood of many lambs. He asked the people of Israel to take lambs, blood, and paste it on the doorposts and thresholds of their homes. I want you to see this from Exodus chapter 12. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, thus the name Passover, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, God, let's keep that up there for just a second, my friends. Now, God, God was going to send the angel of the Lord through the land of Egypt to met out serious just, uh, judgment against the Egyptians for their brutality and injustice. And notice this phrase here. The blood will be a sign for you. And then the next phrase right below it there on the screen. When I see the blood, I will pass over. And so it is, thank you guys, so it is that the cup of redemption, it, it drew all the participants to that moment. And they remember, blood was shed so we could be free. And so when the disciples and others are participating in the drinking of this cup during the Passover feast, this is what's on their minds. And it's so critical for us to get this. And what we know is that this imagery of the shed blood of those lambs is, hear me now, church, this is so important. It is a foreshadowing of the greater blood spilled at the cross by the better lamb, whose name is Jesus. Did you hear that? And that's the whole point of all of this. So... That's why Jesus, when it comes to that moment, the third cup, he, he praises his Father in heaven for it. You, and we need to think of it almost like this. It's almost like a toast. And he praises his Father in heaven for it, and he starts to pass it amongst his disciples. I, I want you to notice what the Gospel of Matthew has to say about this. Matthew chapter 26. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying... Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Like with the bread, the disciples had to have been so confused. What are you talking about? Blood of the covenant, your blood? What does that mean? They'd forgotten what John the Baptist and other prophets had said of Jesus 
Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The greater Lamb has come. And as Jesus is passing that cup of redemption around, he's thinking about a greater redemption. Not merely the purchase of slaves out of their misery, but the purchase of sinners out of eternal condemnation. And what the disciples could not have understood, but Jesus knew, is that in a matter of hours, his blood would be spilled from that cross. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ that atones for our sins and fully satisfies the Father so our sins can be forgiven and we can be declared righteous in the Father's eyes. You've heard me say so many times, and I I have to say it here now, there is no more precious commodity in all of time and space than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It alone saves us. It alone washes us clean. It alone is what makes it so that we are free and whole and new. It makes us to be white as snow. What a gift this is. And so what I'd like to invite you to do right now is take the cup that you have. And let us remember the shed blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. Let us remember this together now.
Now, all this begs a question. What does all this have to do with waiting? As soon as Jesus and the disciples were finished with their meal, according to the gospel histories, they got up and rather quickly left and went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be arrested, betrayed and arrested. But you know, listen to me, friends, please hear this. It matters. They left so abruptly, and this was intentional. I said there were four cups in the meal. They left without taking the fourth cup. They didn't drink it. Look with me, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14 Jesus references the third and then the fourth cup. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That's what we just drank. Notice this. Notice this. This is so incredible. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. That's the fourth cup. Until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Do you know the name of the fourth cup? It's called the cup of the cup of consummation. And it celebrates restoration and renewal. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that fourth cup that we're supposed to drink, when I return in glory, then we'll drink it. And you know what that means? Wait. 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 But waiting is so hard. Waiting for him to come and make it all right is so hard. But that's why we remember that he is God and he is powerful and he's the Savior. And we can trust him because he's good and he's coming again. All right? So in the waiting, we remember. And my definition of church that I've been sharing with you, all right? Let's just look at it up here again. I'm not going to go through the whole thing today, but I want to highlight this one simple statement kind of in the middle. The church is called to wait upon God. 
And to wait well, we have to remember well. We need to remember Jesus. We need to turn our eyes to him. Can I ask you to stand so we can do that very thing?